0: At one point in her life, uh, Fanny Crosby found herself in a situation where um, she needed $5 to make rent. And so in that moment, she prayed for God's guidance. She prayed for God's help. And shortly thereafter, she crossed paths with a stranger who shared how much her hymns ministered to him. And when they parted, he shook her hand and happened to pass along to her You guessed it, a five dollar bill. As Crosby meditated on the goodness of God to meet her practical needs, she wrote the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And the song's main message is about how the Lord will guide and help us no matter what befalls us. That is consistent with what we find in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. Whereas chapter 4 provides a narrative about a period of time in Israel's history, Judges chapter 5 is a song in response to who God is, what God has done, and what God reveals to us about himself. It is why Fanny Crosby sang... It is why Deborah and Barak sang, and it is why we sing. And songs have a way of testifying and ministering to us in an uncanny manner. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther once said that he did not care as much about who wrote the theology textbooks as long as he could write the hymns. What do most people do while driving? Listening, listen to music or listen to sermon podcast. <laughs> I, I once shared with you about how metric, the, the metrics of our church might show where 12 people tune in to listen to part of my sermon, but 1,200 people may sign in to listen to Laura sing. How many of you can remember the main points from my sermon last week, but how many of you can remember the lyrics of your favorite song? That is why Luther was more concerned about the theology in songs than he was with the theologies in books. Luther knew that music stays with us much longer than sermons do. He knew that the masses listen to music while only a few people will ever open the pages of one of his commentaries. So we also need to know what we sing. It is sad to me that the emerging generation does not know the lyrics from the hymns of our past. Amen. Nor do they know the stories of those hymns. This does not mean we do not need new songs. We most certainly do. And I love contemporary songs like The Goodness of God. But we must never forget that doctrinal accuracy of songs matter. And so what we sing in churches matter. It's one reason why Laura and I try each week to select songs that will supplement my sermon. The first three verses of Judges chapter 5 read, On that day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord. The God of Israel in song. We sing to remember God's praiseworthiness. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. Let us stand then. Let us consider the biblical message of praise to the Lord the Almighty. It is hymn number one in our hymnals. I ask that you stand with me now and let's sing. based on Psalm 103. And so each stanza begins with the words, praise to the Lord. And the entire song is actually a self-exhortation. Like the psalmist, we are to constantly remind ourselves of the need that we have to praise the Lord, the Almighty. For God is our creator. He is our sustainer. And he is our Savior. The hymn also tells us to invite others to join with us in the Lord's praise. This is a truth that the Apostle Paul presents in Ephesians 5 verse 19. To speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Worship is a time for congregational praise, not a time for a performance in front of a congregation. We should never merely hear the voices of mic'd up people on a platform with amped up instruments surrounded by smoke and lights. But we should hear the united voices of our faith family echoing together through the sanctuary, theologically accurate songs of encouragement. Amen. Everyone in the house of the Lord, singer or non singer, should be an active participant in God's praise. Together we ponder anew what only the Almighty can do. And since He is mighty to save, we sing to remember God's salvation. We read in Judges chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 when you, Lord, went out from Seir, When you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. These two verses of the Song of Deborah provide great insight about the narrative recorded in the previous chapter. In Judges chapter 4, three instruments of God receive the most attention. There is Deborah, the judge. There is Barak, the individual called to lead Israel's troops. And there is Jael, the woman who takes out Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite king's army. Now, Barak is often viewed as weak in faith because of how he responds to Deborah in Judges chapter 4, verse 8. But I take a much more positive perspective about him. His desire for Deborah to go with him is out of a recognition that she is a godly woman who speaks the words of God. Why would Barak not want her to go with him? It is a sign of great faith to recognize who can guide us in God's word and then to listen. And second, Barak shows tremendous courage by facing overwhelming odds. An iron chariot could cut through foot soldiers like a hot knife could cut through butter. 900 chariots would beat 10,000 men every time. But Barak still fights. And then Barak displays the mark of humility. He goes to fight with the full knowledge that he will receive no glory. For Deborah says the honor will fall to a woman, to jail. But in truth, chapter 5 reveals that the glory and honor does not belong to any human agent. It was the Lord who spoke to and through Deborah. It was the Lord who went ahead of Barak to give him success. It was the Lord who handed Sisera over to Jael. Indeed, ponder knew what only the Almighty can do. In God's sovereign providence, he works out his perfect salvation. The song of Deborah highlights that, as does our next hymn, O Worship the King. Hymn number 24, stanzas 1, 2, and 4, I invite you again to stand as we sing. Robert Grant based this hymn on the rich imagery of Psalm 104, verses 1 through 7. I want to read that text to you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with a deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. Among other things, Baal, the Canaanite god, was said to be the god of the storm. And yet God brings his salvation for his people by showing that he alone is the Lord over the storm. Sisera would have never arranged his chariots next to a river if he had been expecting rain. This must have been the dry season, not the wet season. But in Judges chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7, God uses Deborah to tell Israel where and when to fight. And then God makes the clouds to send forth torrential rain, and He makes mud for Sisera's chariots. That leads to the defeat of Sisera's army, and it causes him to take flight. And it doesn't stop there. In God's sovereign providence, Judges 4.11 tells us that Heber, the Kenite, had pitched his tent near the battlefield. Verse 17 informs us that Jabin and Heber were allies, so Sisera thought that he was safe under their tent. But the Lord had prepared for Jael to put an end to this agent of Satan, to this enemy of God. More on this in a bit. But for now, there can be no doubt that the Lord sets the stage to deliver his people in his perfect time and in his perfect way. That is precisely the reason Paul will later write in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. And so the question quickly becomes for us, are we on the Lord's side? Have we become God's sons and daughters through Christ, ready to march for battle for the causes of the Lord? You see, we sing to remember our charge as God's people Judges 5, verses 6 through 9 read, In the days of Shemgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to the winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. In verse 9, the song of Deborah celebrates willing believers who choose to identify with the Lord. In verse 13, she acknowledges both persons of nobility and persons of common birth who fought for the Lord. In verse 18, she especially praises the people of Zebulun and Naphtali who risked their very lives. But Deborah rebukes others in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, who refuse to actively participate in God's war against unrighteousness. Listen, the Lord will not hold the Christian church guiltless for its unwillingness to stand against slavery. It will not hold the Christian church guiltless for its failure to fight for justice in the civil rights movement. And neither will the Lord hold the Christian church guiltless for its refusal to take a stand for the lives of the unborn. We cannot sit idly by on the sidelines amid the issues of our day. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And how many churches will remain silent on this issue, afraid to be ostracized by the surrounding culture? Take retired football coach, commentator, and committed Christian Tony Dungy. Coach Dungy participated in the March for Life this past Friday, which prompted sports writer Dave Zirin to say, I'm done with Tony Dungy and the way the NFL and NBC coddle his right-wing extremism. The baby in the womb either lives or dies. How is advocating for life dubbed as being the extreme position? I'll never understand that. Mind you, Zirin was not the only one to label Dungey in this way, causing Danny Cannell, a former quarterback, to post on Twitter. A lot of hit pieces on Tony Dungey coming out in the last 24 hours. All I can say is Coach Dungy is one of the most genuine, humble, and morally upright people I've ever met. There's not an ounce of hate in him. The only hate in these articles is the hatred of Christianity. Again, Judges 5.18 says the greatest honor goes to those who risk their very lives. Maybe in our present American culture, we could say risk their very livelihoods. And so, Christ follower, we must stand for the things of God. We must sing together, Oh, church arise. Hymn 663, stanzas 1 through 3. Again, I ask you to stand. Mm-hmm. The first stanza of that hymn draws from Paul's charge in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God and fight against the wiles of Satan. And then the second stanza calls upon us to lovingly fight for the liberation of those who are held captive by Satan's lies. But the third stanza, I think, forms the crux of this hymn, focusing on the death and resurrection of Jesus. We will never gain victory in our own effort. We will never gain victory in our own strength, but through the conquering, risen Son of God who crushes Satan beneath his feet. And so we remember God's victory. Judges chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 read, You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. The final victory of the Lord is foreshadowed in Judges 5, verses 24 and 27. 24 through 27. It is there that we learn about Jael crushing the head of Sisera with a tent peg. Judges 5.30 reveals just how evil Sisera was. He was a man who exploited and raped women as spoils of battle. After making the lives of many women hellish nightmares, it is only fitting that two women are the means by which she is brought down. But more than that, when Jael crushes Sisera's head, it provides a picture of the promise from Genesis 3 and verse 15, where God said that he would crush the serpent's head by the seed of a woman. That seed is Jesus Christ. That serpent's head is that of Satan. And you see, you don't survive a crushed skull. But that is what those who side with Satan in this life, those who are like Sisera, will ultimately receive. But those who stand with Jesus Christ in this life will receive the eternal victory that Jesus secured over death when God raised him in power from the tomb. And so we enter into the Lord's gates with thanksgiving. We sing, Thine is the glory. And in that hymn, Edmund Budry reminds us that unlike the victory sung about in Deborah's song, the song of victory that the church sings in Christ is an endless one. So I ask you yet again to stand and sing with us as we lift up our voices. Hymn 138, stanzas one and two. In a time of prayer, let's pray together. Lord Christ, thank you for the victory that you have won on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Christ, that death has been defeated. Thank you, Lord Christ, that you crush Satan and your enemies beneath your feet. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we await your coming, that we await when all things will be made new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the victory is an endless, eternal one. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your people, those who you have called to join lovingly in the fight for your causes. And I pray that our hearts would indeed be that. They would be hearts given to your cause in a loving way. And that we would approach even those who are hostile towards us with kindness and grace and mercy. For if I remember, Lord Jesus, that's the way you came. And so, Jesus, send us out your people, I pray. For your glory, I pray. In your great name, I pray. Jesus be glorified among us. We pray in your name. Amen. In Judges 5, verse 12, we read, Wake up! Wake up, Deborah! Wake up! Wake up! Break out in song! Arise, Barak! Take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. I believe that this is a reminder for you and I to wake up to our salvation in Christ and to sing about that amazing salvation that we have in Him. In other words, we sing because of what God has done in our personal histories. John Newton, as soon you may know, was a master of a slave ship at a very early age. But when he was 23, his ship ran into a savage storm that threatened the boat and everyone on it. The Holy Spirit would use that storm in a little book called The Imitation of Christ to convict Newton of his need for Jesus. Newton then left the slave trade for the gospel ministry, marveling at God's amazing grace to even a wretch like him. Newton would go on to become a strong advocate for abolishing the slave trade that once profited him so. His testimony resonates through the words of the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Do you have a similar song to sing? Has Christ stepped in to your personal history? Have you experienced his amazing grace? You see, it matters not about your past. For instance, the young woman who at one time opts for an abortion can yet become a great proponent for life. What matters is the theological accuracy to the song that we are awakened to today. And if the Holy Spirit is waking you up right now to a new song, if he is awakening you to a decision that you need to make for the Lord, whether you need to accept Christ as your Savior, whether you need to say, I need to stand and fight for the causes of Christ rather than to sit idly by on the sidelines, whatever it is that he is calling you to do, whatever he's awakening your heart to sing, won't you respond to the Holy Spirit's call? Won't you stand and sing And cherish the gift of His amazing grace. And that's how we conclude our worship together this morning. We stand, we celebrate our personal history of amazing grace. Hymn 104. Amazing.